Hi, my name is Lisa Cook. I'm the GRC Job Practice Principal at ISACA. Welcome to another ISACA podcast. I'm so pleased to introduce Megan Manival. She's the Director of Technical Product Management at Risk Optics. Welcome, Megan. Hi, thanks for having me. You're here to talk to us about what kind of glasses we're wearing. Before we get started, can you talk to us a little bit about your background? Yeah, absolutely. So I uh, grew up in the New England area and actually went to college in Boston and then made the cross-country leap over to Arizona about 15 years ago. Um, I've been in the GRC practitioner uh, role for quite a time now, most of my career, doing everything from internal compliance to risk management, vendor management, you name it. Um, about a year and a half ago, I came over and joined the Risk Optics team, where I lead our technical product management team, um, which is a fancy way of saying that we are all similar to me, GRC folks, and we use our experience and expertise to help advise on our product so that when our product does reach the hands of our customers, it does what real GRC folks want it to do. Well, I did a little background on you, and you also... Uh say that you are an acronym enthusiast. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? <laughs> yes, yes. And I think I think the the GRC world obviously an acronym, but just security in general, we we love our acronyms, right? So one of the one of the ones that I always love talking about is CIA. And everybody thinks like, "Oh, I know what the CIA is, right? Central Intelligence." No, not <laughs> in security. So CIA meaning the confidentiality, integrity and availability. And I use that all the time. Um, then, of course, with my team, we are TPMs, technical product managers. So anytime I can kind of shorten it or make a fun, fun phrase out of it, I try to. But I think the acronym that I'm most passionate about is DIB, diversity, inclusion, and belonging. It's definitely a passion of mine. And I work really hard to make sure that I foster that within my team and at Risk Optics in general. Excellent. Thanks for sharing that. So again, our episode today is about what kind of glasses we're wearing. Um, and we're talking about it, obviously, in the risk context. Megan, tell us a little bit about what one of the most common struggles are when it comes to risk management. Yeah, I think we see most often with folks who are in risk management is that there isn't really a great framework for it. So a lot of times people in the GRC world were used to using frameworks or requirements. We have SOC 2, we have ISO 27001, things like that. So when it comes to risk management, it was natural that we would want to look for some sort of framework or some sort of guide. And depending on where you look, there's a lot of different ways to approach it, different methodologies, and there really isn't one industry standard. And so that's been a challenge for a lot of people. Now, what we're starting to see is a lot more alignment on the methodology, but we're still seeing a lot of disparity when it comes to terminology. And so I recently uh, read a study where less than 50% of the respondents could define risk, threat, and vulnerabilities in the same way. So there's clearly this split between not only that framework or methodology, but the terminology we're using and how we're connecting those things together. I think that's really one of the biggest struggles that we're seeing in risk management right now is how to get it off the ground. Okay. And also you've talked, you talked about the definitions or terminology. Um, one of the things I noticed is that you've made a clear distinction between like what's compliance and it doesn't necessarily equal security. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. 
Um, it's funny, we talk about acronyms, right? You have your G, your R, and your C, and somewhere in the middle of R and C is security, right? But each one of those four areas has a unique role in that. And when we talk about particularly compliance and risk, those are two sides of the same coin. Your ultimate goal is to reduce the risk to your organization. The way you do that is security will come in and they'll implement some mechanisms and then compliance comes in and validates that those mechanisms are actually reducing your risk. But a lot of times people don't see that as the cycle. And, and of course, governance folks, I'm not forgetting about you. You're absolutely in that cycle. But a lot of times people think that there's sort of three or four different areas and they become very siloed in organizations. When in reality, a lot of those pieces of the puzzle, they fit together to ultimately give you that portrait of your risk landscape. But if we're not connecting those dots, then that's when we start to lose some of that clarity and we start to have issues, like we said, with silos and duplicative work, manual work, things like that. So you, that really ties very nicely into the title of the article that you wrote for ISACA and talking about what kind of glasses uh, are we wearing? Um, because that view is not always the same. So talk to us a little bit about who would you describe as wearing what you called in the article rose-colored glasses in the risk and security space, and why? Yeah. So yeah, the first glasses we talk about are rose-colored glasses. And if folks aren't familiar with that, that's sort of this, uh, we'll call it optimistic, but potentially naive view. And that usually happens when people are focused on compliance. Now, I don't mean that to sound like compliance is a bad thing. But if you're thinking about it, if you're focused on passing audits and marking controls as effective, then when you reach that, it's like a it's a it's a big accomplishment, don't get me wrong, but it's almost like an end state. And so we've reached compliance, we've obtained our report, and everything's great and it's something to celebrate. But what happens when you're projecting that is that if I go to my board of directors or my leadership and I say, we're passing all of our audits, all our controls are effective, how am I supposed to justify additional resources or additional tools or budgeting and things like that? But beyond that, what happens is that you're painting this rosy picture, and then if something does happen or you do need to go back and fix something, your board isn't going to really understand, and you're going to start to lose confidence there. So instead of having that real optimistic view, which isn't bad, we really need to focus on putting it into the context of our business. What does it really mean that we obtained our SOC 2? And is that SOC 2 doing enough, or how well are we protecting ourselves? It isn't just enough to have a report. We need to be able to visualize exactly what that compliance does and how it impacts our risk reduction. And would you say that those controls, as a result, uh, we paid a rosy picture, we're saying the controls are fine, but we haven't necessarily reduced the risk. And that's one of the key concerns that you raise as well. Exactly. You know, it's like I said, it's great to pass an audit. I'm not saying anything bad about compliance, but audits really are point in time assessments they're backwards looking. And they're able to say that based at this point in time, something was functioning. And even more to that, a lot of times they're using a sample population um, for testing instead of the entire population. And what that does is it really ignores or, or you know, doesn't take into account that a nonconformity could happen in the larger population outside of testing. And so when we start to think about those things, may, they serve a purpose, absolutely, but they don't serve the purpose of demonstrating risk reduction and certainly not demonstrating risk over time or hopefully risk reduction over time. Okay. 
And you use another uh, analogy or another metaphor. Uh, we talked about rose-colored glasses and that naivete, if, if you will. Uh, but you also refer to blinders. Can you talk about why you write that some organizational leaders are wearing metaphorical blinders? Yeah, yeah. Well, it kind of goes hand in hand with the with the rosy colored glasses as well. If if you think about it, if we're the GRC folks, we're the security folks, and we're saying, yeah, we can pass an audit, all of our controls are effective, then our board or our leadership might get that impression and they're like, okay, cool, everything's fine. They don't want to see the the details or they they I don't want to say they willingly ignore it but we might not be necessarily giving them enough information so that they can fully understand it. And so they tend to more put on those blinders of, hey, as long as we can pass an audit, everything's fine. We don't need to invest in other areas, or maybe we don't need to mature those controls because we can get our audit. And that tells me that those folks don't really know enough about risk mitigation, and they probably don't know exactly how the risk impacts the business. And so they're making a decision based on not having all the information. Okay. Interesting. Now there's another metaphor, magnifying lenses. What mm. are the dangers of using magnifying lenses when it comes to security and risk information? Yeah. So magnifying lenses are kind of the opposite of the blinders. So with the blinders, they're choosing to, you know, hey, we don't need to do anything else. We can pass our audits. The magnifying lenses are boards that are hyper, hyper focused in on details. And this isn't always a bad thing, but it also isn't always healthy. And so if they're looking at your work and they're deep in the details of nonconformities and risk assessments and what does this vendor do and things like that, really what that's saying is that they don't have confidence or they don't understand what you're doing. And so what that leads to is this hyper over analysis of things. And it can be stifling for risk professionals to be able to properly recommend and properly you know, suggest what they should do or prioritize initiatives because the executives or the other leaders who might not necessarily have all the context are drilling down into specific minutiae of your program. And so it really, uh, it, it, it hinders the efficiency of the program and could also lead to, you know, focusing on areas that aren't as impactful uh, simply because you can't view the other areas that are impacting your business. So, so what you're saying is it's possible to overanalyze, which is so yes. interesting, an interesting perspective. Mm -hmm. Yes, for sure. Well, Over-analysis also, I don't know, is it part and parcel of perhaps uh, our communication mechanisms, right? How oh, yes. We, yeah. How does the lack of communication between these stakeholders, whether they be risk professionals, leadership, uh, leave people high, or organizations highly susceptible to attack? Yeah, that's actually, and, and that's one of the big things that we talk about is communicating the risk in the context that your business can understand. And so the analogy I tend to use is, you know, if, if you go to your board and you say, hey, I need an investment in this particular tool or process, they're not going to understand the value of, uh, up to, you know, faster patching. Maybe we want to switch to, you know, a 10-day SLA to an eight-day SLA so we can get our patches out faster. They're not going to understand the value there. They're not going to understand, hey, we need a, a log and, you know, a log and event tool. We need a SIM. We need something like that. But if you can go to them and communicate it in a way that they'll understand it in terms of the business, in terms of revenue, in terms of money, that confidence is start to build and they're not going to be less uh, in, in the details there. They're going to be more confident in what you're doing. 
And so a lot of what we do uh, with the Risk Optics War platform is we have the concept of optics where you can really view things in the context of your business. So if we're thinking about risk management and maybe you have three different product lines, the risk associated with those product lines is probably a little bit different depending on where you sell or what uh, compliance requirements you have, but also different regions and things like that. So if you can break it up and align your risk management with your business, now it's easier for you to say, hey, if we invest this money here, we can reduce the risk in this area and help you achieve your goal of maybe it's expanding in a new region or increasing sales, things like that. But making it in terms that they understand so that they understand exactly where their investment is going. And it also aligns you with the business objectives and the business goals. So now security and compliance, we're not just naysayers who are coming in and saying, we need to do this because SOC 2 says so. We're actually able to come in and say, hey, it's a good idea if we do this because we can protect this much revenue or we can increase our sales or we can reduce the risk of something by doing these controls and really communicating in that way that, that they'll understand the perspective. You know, it's interesting because it, it really puts me in the mind of, uh, one of the things that you brought out, which is how protected versus how well protected. And that shift in mindset would also drive where those investments go and helps, you know, uh, that's going to be an uh, important element of that communication shift as well. Yes, absolutely. And and I think that's really key to to differentiate is compliance and compliance reports tell you how are you protected. You might say, hey, we have encryption, we have this policy, we have this tool. But risk management and focusing on your business focuses in on how well are we protecting. Because like I mentioned earlier, compliance and risk are two sides of the same coin. So in theory, as your compliance increases, your risk should decrease. And so now we're able to see how much risk is left in that particular area. Is that risk acceptable to us? And if not, you know exactly what controls need to be implemented or matured to continue to reduce that risk. Okay. All right. And what about those who are focused on compliance or auditing? How should they be approaching risk management? Yeah, that's a great question. And, and I think really it comes back to that this concept of right compliance and risk are two sides of the same point. If y'all aren't working together, that's the first step. You need to figure out who's doing what in, in, in your organization. And then really coming together and aligning what those risks are to your controls. Now, I mentioned earlier that one of the struggles we see a lot is that people don't define risks, threats, and vulnerabilities the same way. And that's also a critical step, is being sure that when you're talking about risks, you're focused on hypothetical situations that could cause harm. That's a risk. What we see a lot are folks who aren't so keen on that definition, who are adding things that are actually findings or vulnerabilities or threats, and they're putting them on their risk register. And what happens with that is it gets clouded and it gets cluttered, and it's really difficult to see the true risks that are there. So identifying really what that definition is, what do you call a risk within your organization? And hopefully you call it a hypothetical event that could cause you harm. And then really coming up with what that list is. And there's a lot of great industry risk registers out there that are actually already mapped to controls. Um, certainly the risk optics platform does that, but we'll digress. But a lot of that is being able to say, these are our common risks. These are things that we're concerned about. That could be loss of productivity. That could be lost revenue. That could be you know, a number of things. And then what are the threats that could cause it? 
You know, maybe a tornado, that's a threat. Maybe, uh, you know, a hacker could come in. You know, what are those things that could cause the risk? And then what are the things that could prevent it? You know, if we're talking about maybe a, a utility interruption, right, that could definitely cause loss of productivity. That's a threat. But what can we do to reduce that likelihood of that threat occurring? Well, we could have redundant service providers or redundant utilities. And so really focusing in on we're already doing these compliance things, right? We have to. But how can we use that stuff we're already doing to demonstrate that we're reducing risk? And making those connections is really how you move from that compliance first kind of rosy picture to really being that risk first person who can communicate it in a way where you're going to understand that, yes, we're doing compliance, but we're doing compliance for the purpose of reducing risk. And we've successfully reduced the risk down to whatever that metric is. And then you can then prioritize if that needs to go down or if everybody's comfortable with it. Excellent. Excellent. You know, in my prior life before joining ISACA, I worked in audit and risk. And one of the things that we were often criticized about uh, was being historians. And that ties into what you're saying, I believe, because that compliance can be a point in time, whereas risk, it sounds like what you're saying is it has to be forward looking as well. Um, and so in order to not be you know, considered the historians, as our audit director used to call us, you know, you add more value and you can be that more forward looking, take that risk approach that you just described. Exactly. You know, an example that we talked about um, internally with my team when we were kind of you know, working on, on the blog and stuff was talking about GDPR compliance, right? And so a lot of folks are saying, you know, we need GDPR, it's privacy. We do a lot of work outside, you know, in different countries and in the European Union there. And so we know we need to be GDPR compliant. And folks who are compliance first are going to look at that, that framework and go down the list and check off, yes, no, we do these things. A risk first person is going to ask, why do we need GDR compliance? Well, we need GDR compliance because we sell in the European region, right? Okay, so what could prevent us from being successful in that European region? Well, if we had high latency, that would probably cause some issues. If we couldn't support our customers within their time zones, if we don't have a data center that's there. Those are things that are risks that you may not achieve your goal. There is a risk that you may not achieve your goal because of all of those things. Those things are threatening to you, right? Those things could prevent you from reaching it. But if you just did a, a GDPR a self-assessment and went down the list, you would never identify those things. So instead of going down and doing an audit and saying, hey guys, I think we need to be GDPR compliant for this. What if you went to them and said, I know our goal is to increase sales in the European region. And in order to do that, I think we should have a second data center and redundant utilities so that we can make sure that we're offering highly available and secured services there. And that's going to increase our ability to sell and have satisfied customers in that region. And that's a risk-first proactive approach so that now you can start implementing those things and potentially prevent those things from happening in the future. That's a great description of why organizations should shift from a compliance-focused approach to a more comprehensive risk program. Do you have any other examples that you can give? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think one of the, the big ones, too, is folks um, who work in product development. So um, a lot of times we have folks who, who they have an app, they have a website, they have some sort of tool. And a lot of times their customers will say, you need to have a SOC 2 report. It's right? very common that your customers and your sales will drive SOC 2. 
But similarly to GDPR, SOC 2 is, especially if you're doing a type one, it's just looking at your policies. And then even at that, it's looking backwards facing once you get to that type two assessment as well. But if you were focusing on the risk, really looking at things like we were just talking about latency, redundancy, looking at things like the security and your, your certificates and making sure that they're encrypted, those types of things are stuff that would be risks that you need to associate with those controls. And so if we're talking about the risk of, like we said, loss of productivity, well, what could cause that? What could cause our sites to go down? What could cause loss of revenue? You know, if we were to have this incident occur, what would it do to our ability to meet our customers' needs? Um, and the biggest one um, actually came, uh, you know, 2020, right? Global pandemic. A lot of people didn't think of global pandemic as a threat to them, right? We hadn't had anything since the bubonic plague, practically. <laughs> um, so they didn't have that as a threat that they were tracking. And ultimately, that threat impacted a lot of different areas across our business, not just our ability to sell and support our customers, but our ability to actually continue operations um, and things like that. And so really looking at the threats that are unique to your area, maybe your industry, maybe threats that you haven't considered, even if they're low likelihood, having those and tracking what, how they'll impact your business is really key. Yeah, that's key for sure. Um, that context, I think, is what you're describing for me. The exactly. context and the background necessary for them to understand the impact to their enterprise. Yeah, exactly. So back with the risk-colored glasses, what does it mean when risk professionals shift to wearing risk-colored glasses? And what do those glasses reveal? Yeah. Well, I think um, I was joking uh, earlier that the risk-colored glasses are like, you know, the 3D glasses you put on at the movies. Mm -hmm. And if you're looking at the 3D movie, it's just horribly blurred and you don't know what's going on. And then you put the glasses on and everything comes into view, right? Everything comes into clarity. And that's really what those risk color glasses do. When you're looking at your GRC program and you've got compliance activities here, maybe you've got some governance, you've got all these things kind of around, it's hard to see the clear picture. There's too many moving parts. Maybe there's a little bit of overlap, but a lot of the times you can't get that clear picture. So focusing on risk and focusing on that context brings that stuff into focus. So again, when we're talking about you know, your business, it's what are your business objectives? What are we trying to achieve? Maybe that's new sales. Maybe that's launching a new product. Maybe it's you know, trying to go IPO, things like that. And then it's taking a step back and saying, what could prevent us from meeting those goals? So that might be something that's in your control. Maybe it's not. But taking that step back and saying, what could prevent us from achieving success in Europe? What could prevent us from launching this new app or going IPO? And sometimes those things are a little more obvious. Sometimes they're not. But when you focus on that, then the next step is, okay, what could we do to prevent it? And that's where you start to pull the compliance side in. You're probably already doing a lot of it, but this is how you start to surface some of those unseen risks. So if you have a risk on your risk register, and it's mapped to controls that you're either ineffective or have never been assessed, that's a red flag that you probably want to focus in on that risk area and start looking for compensating controls to reduce it. And it really just, like I said, brings everything into focus there um, when you start with the business context in the middle. Right. Thank you. And you were talking about unseen risks. Uh, that gets me thinking a little bit about what's on the risk horizon. Can you talk to us about what you're seeing and, and share with our, our listeners and viewers, your thoughts there? Yeah, absolutely. I think 
you know, whether you do it at the beginning of the year, the end of the year, fairly consistently, just keeping on top of industry uh, items that are coming out new, you know, like I said, new threats or new hot topics. And really remembering that at the end of the day, threats and vulnerabilities are going to change your risk, uh, your list of risk, your risk register really stays static. So being able to have it dynamically adjust as those things are changing becomes really key. And so the big thing of that is, you know, there's a threat of, um, we'll, we'll talk about the big uh, elephant in the room, right? AI, chat GPT. I have some very strong feelings about it, but I'll digress. But there's a very big uh, emphasis on that, right? All of a sudden it came out and it's this big thing. A year ago, that might not have been such a big thing. And so when stuff like this starts to happen, whether it's, you know, an industry trend, whether it's a new, um, you know, uh, executive order or a new regulation or, or something like that, understanding how that fits into your risk profile is what we're really starting to see being on the horizon and being able to understand not even just new threats, but has there been a change in threats or does the threat impact different areas of your business differently? And so focusing in on the new things and how they can impact their business. And so I will go back to chat GPT for a second. You know, there are a lot of really great positives with that, but it also in, um, it adds vulnerabilities. It adds a third party access. It adds data, you know, access concerns. And so really focusing in on just because it's new and cool and, and, and in this case, just because it's free, you know, doesn't mean it's free from risk. And that's really what we have to focus in on is a lot of times, especially when we're talking about third parties, when we're talking about outsourcing things or open source um, items, a lot of times people don't put that through their normal risks process. And especially with third parties, that's arguably the largest vulnerability your company has. And so if you're not looking at your third parties as part of your risk program, that's a huge disadvantage. I'm definitely recommending going into the future. Um, if you're not looking at um, your providers and your vendors that way, that's really what we need to get to. And when we're doing these provider assessments, again, we're focusing a lot on compliance. You know, what audit reports do they have? What external compliance can they give me? But it's a third party risk assessment, not a third party compliance assessment. And so what you should be focusing in on is what impact is this provider going to have on my business? What can they touch? Do they have data access? Can they integrate with your systems? Who's using it? And then what's the likelihood that that provider is going to keep you safe? And with ChatGPT, with OpenAI, they didn't have any external compliance documentations. I think they do now have some stuff on their website, but they didn't do anything to prove that they could keep our data safe. And so we really, a lot of folks ended up putting their faith in this type of organization that couldn't prove that they are reducing risk. And so I think really focusing on, like I said, the threats that are changing, but also the way we view our third parties, um, those providers, those vendors, we really need to shift that into the same mindset. How can they impact the business? And what's the likelihood that there's going to be an issue with that particular provider? Thank you, Megan. That was so thought-provoking. And we're going to have to have you back to talk about ChatGPT for At sure. Anytime, anytime. <laughs> but I really appreciate you taking the time to share with us how our view of risk may be our biggest risk of all, which is part of the title, and how using those analogies about glasses really helps us to understand what that view is and maybe to take some shifts that are necessary. That's all the time that we have now, but I want to thank you again for coming and joining us. My and pleasure. Thanks to everybody for joining us. See you in the next episode. Thank you.